those buildings are still there. So to why not still use them? Why not still reach out to those communities, especially those communities where people just drive around to get downtown. But people live there. People enjoy their lives there. So I love even being in that space there. Um, so it's so significant to me um, to actually be there and to be able to bring black events, black stories, and things back to Rona. My name is Alexis Williams, and my pronouns are he, him, his. My name is Harrison Pendleton. My pronouns are he, him, his. And we are members of the House of Expression, working in collaboration with the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and students from Roanoke College. My name is Madison Brown. My pronouns are she, her. We are students at Roanoke College in the class Introduction to Public History. And this episode is on Black queer history, community, and joy in Roanoke, Virginia. Roanoke City is a place that is embedded with rich history all across its streets, specifically the Black queer history that this city holds in its bones. However, we need to be honest about the city's history, meaning we need to talk about segregation and Jim Crow. These forms of oppression have been prevalent in Roanoke for some time and have held a great power over Black queer life. This city has seen several lynchings and other atrocities done to Black people in order to control their lives and push them out of different areas of Roanoke. With this in mind, let's dive right in to history. We start our history going as far back as the 1880s. Segregation is alive in both straight and queer spaces that have been made. Blackness at this time was seen by the police as excessive, deviant, and criminal, meaning that anything out of the normal, including queerness, was heavily policed. This did not stop Black people in Roanoke from creating a space uniquely their own. Gainsborough became the center of African-American life and music. In the 1920s and 30s, the Harlem Renaissance had influence on this town. Hammer Street became a place where free sexualities could be heard and seen through music, dance, and performance. The Jim Crow era could not bring down the liveliness of Henry Street and the sheer excitement it brought to all who came. Continuing in the 1940s through 60s, black queer life is contained to the historically black parts of town. The gay bars that did exist were for white men only. However, in this period, we have the civil rights movement sweeping through Virginia. In Roanoke, the Reverend R.R. Wilkinson led the local chapter of the NAACP and fought for the integration of schools and businesses. I have attended several meetings recently, which I received the impression that the star of hope has disappeared, leaving only a ray of hope. Men who are in high places 
deem it wise not to use the influence of their office to give validity to a biracial commission which could lead to constructive social action. By the time the 70s rolled in, black gay men and women were welcomed at all gay bars and nightclubs. But this doesn't mean they went to those bars as there were other places that were more open-minded towards black, queer, and trans people. In the 60s and the late 60s and all through the 70s, downtown Roanoke was the red light district. We're talking hoes. Guys dressed up in women's clothing, uh, making a living or trying to make a living, if you want to use the term drag queens, which was really funny because the, the statue of the law back then, the police would arrest you if you were in women's clothing. You've never seen so many drag queens jump, jump over a car like Ellie Mae Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies trying to run from the police because they would arrest you even if you were soliciting sexual favors or whatever. Downtown was, uh, the city market was just dive bars and prostitutes and drag queens and, and the businesses that were down there. But it was, a, it was a gritty and rough place after business hours. It became a whole other world. I loved it. I spent most of my time downtown at bars like the Manhattan, the Capitol, Miss Tony's, the Old Belmont, the Last Straw. These places are all gone, but they were full of gay people and lesbians and gays and people who, were just, who just didn't care. Unfortunately, soon after the 70s, a crisis hit Roanoke in the form of the AIDS epidemic that swept through the country. Increased restrictions and crackdowns began to affect trans sex workers in the 1990s and led to many outside the queer community to work towards the demise of some of our openly gay spaces like bars and nightclubs. People are resilient, and fortunately, the rise of the internet during the 90s up into the present created yet another space for Black queer people to meet freely and interact with others. The internet, you know, allowed me to see that there were other people who showed up in the world the same way that I wanted to. Yes. And, um, you know, that, that brought a, a sense of peace because I think, you know, back at home, while I know that there were other lesbians now, at the time, I did not know. Today in Roanoke, there are a few organizations that are safe spaces specifically for people of color in the LGBTQ plus community, but the House of Expression is one. 
Formed at the end of 2019, it has become a home for multiple generations of black queer people in Roanoke. It was started by Fashionista Roanoke founder Garland Gravely, who also goes by the name Father Gigi Expression. I became, I'm the house father, and we have kids in the house, our sons and daughters in the house, and you know, they're all different backgrounds, different ages, but we all come together and our goal is to be part of this community, be visible in the community, but also help the community and help each other to love and support and uplift each other. I know there's some amazing work um, that uh, the mother and father of the house are doing with uh, Roanoke City Police Department uh, to help with some education and training for new cadets. So um, we have some, you know, input in uh, giving some education on how they interact with, you know, our community when um, when they are out on calls and being a safe space for them to be able to ask questions, because that's a big thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people, you know, have these preconceived notions because they've never been able to be in a space where they can ask questions and not feel judged or feel like, you know, hey, that was a dumb question. Um, so we have offered ourselves in that way. Uh, also, there is a connection into the LGBT um, organizations within the school systems um, for the high schools okay. to be able to, you know, be mentors for those folks and ask questions and see where there's opportunities for partnership um, with us. Ballroom culture was first introduced into popular culture with Jenny Livingston's documentary Paris is Burning 1990, which focuses on the history of the New York City ballroom houses of 1970s and 80s. Balls have different categories that people can walk in, such as executive realness, where those who walk are dressed up as business executives, and the ones who serve the most realness or looks the most like what the category is wins. Ballroom culture is also noteworthy for its house structure creating new forms of kinship for black and brown LGBTQ people. The houses within the ball culture are much the same as when in African-American families, people who may not be blood are still your family. Someone in your family welcomes that person in, so now they are your cousin or another relative like that. The House of Expression is a barroom house in Roanoke. They work to throw balls for the community today. But back in the day, before ballroom culture came to Roanoke, drag performers shined. Drag became popular in Roanoke around the mid-1970s when the trade winds, a local gay bar, started hosting the region's first drag pageant, Miss Gay Roanoke. This pageant later moved to the horoscope and then to the park. Carolyn Sue Wilson, one of the most famous drag queens in Roanoke, who was a Miss Gay Roanoke. I don't think she hit Miss Gay Virginia, but she was a Miss Gay Roanoke. Carolyn Sue Wilson is a legendary black drag queen in Roanoke. Her persona is very, I'm going to do things my way. 
She was one of the first black queens to break the color line in Roanoke skate bars in the 1970s. There was, uh, I think that was the only gay bar here, so we, I went there and uh, ran a pageant, became uh, second run up to Miss Gay Roanoke, <laughs> which was exciting. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, I, you know, then they closed and it went to another bar called Murphy's, which I never went there. And then Horoscope, y'all ever heard of Horoscope? Yeah. I, I started going there and there. I won Miss Gay Roanoke. I was the first first black Miss Gay Roanoke. The second and first black. And it was amazing. Joy is a step above being happy or excited. Black career joy is so important, and the House of Expression gives joy to everybody, but especially Black queer folks. For any house culture, it's that sense of family and community. Um, the uh, I'm newer to the house, so the the a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of the work that was done was uh, prior to my involvement to um, with it. So. Um, it is awesome to be a member who is learning from um, the experiences of those who, you know, created the house. That was Shamil Ross talking about the sense of family and community. Many queer people find joy in gay bars and nightclubs. Drag bars can be a place of comfort for those who are queer, trans, and gender nonconforming. It gives folks a sense of belonging and lets them know that they are not alone. Peter Thornhill tells us about his joy as a teenager experiencing a gay nightclub in the 1970s. Oh, it was fun. Um, you'd walk in, and there was a huge sign on the front door, and it was the ABC laws. You can't serve known homosexuals, drug addicts, prostitutes, and it was right there at the door when you walked in. And um, we danced, and, and, and you know, and, and Donna Summer was the, was the deal. And um, the owner of Murphy's, we'd be cuddled up a little bit, and he would shine a light on you, flashlight. He'd say, you can do it in your car, but you're not going to do it in here. And so we'd just be hugging her, maybe a kiss, but nothing past that. And uh, so and every night it would close, last straw, Donna Summer would play. I'm sorry, last dance, but Donna Summer would play. That would be the, you knew when he played that song, Murphy's was closing. I know we danced a lot. And that was our, it was our pressure valve. We used to just dance, sing. Um, you know, being gay, really at that time, meant having fun. It, it, it wasn't the, that much about sexuality, it was about having fun. And just dancing, singing our full heads off, you know, and, and not caring, just, just having fun. It's just... Just the ultimate goal is being to be happy, and you you know you can't you know you can't be you know I I've had like yeah you're right you know I am African American I am female I am a business owner I am gay so I feel like I have like all of these things you know that um that that kind of like these hurdles 
Um, but you know, ultimately in the end, you know, I'm a, I'm a people person, you know, even though I don't want to be like, it's, it's weird. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm an introvert, like hardcore. Um, I'm a very shy person and I always end up working in the public eye. And, and so it's just so weird how that all happened. But, um, no, it's just like the ultimate goal is like, you know, life is just too short. Like, you know, you, you have to be happy. That was Toya Jones, a black lesbian business owner in Roanoke. Tobias J. Dean, who used to live in Roanoke, talks about finding joy in the context of his own personal life. Black queer joy for me are all of the little moments where... Um, I feel like when they show up the most for me is when I'm not thinking at all about my identity. <laughs> As in when there, there are spaces that I feel so comfortable and so whole that um, my queerness and my blackness is just that, just additional parts of who I am. It, it doesn't affect um, anything that I'm navigating in the moment. So for me, that could be sitting at home, giving myself, like polishing my nails, like or with my daughter or um, really any moment of pure joy in existence that, that's not linked or held heavily on either of my identities, just really the ordinary and having the space to do that, um, especially with other people that I'm, I'm really close with. And I think especially with people who I've um, just met and I found that we have major differences and we're still, um, present with love and understanding and just um, that joy. Yeah. Gigi Expression, Shamel Ross, Tobias J. Dean, Alexis Williams, and Harrison Pendleton for their contributions to this podcast. All of the audio interviews in this episode are drawn from oral histories in the LGBTQ History Collection at the Virginia Room, Roanoke Public Libraries, located in Roanoke, Virginia. The oral history narrators featured in today's program include Ashley Rain, Shamel Ross, Peter Thornhill, Don Muse, Toya Jones, Tommy Faisal, and Carolyn Sue Wilson. Additional archival audio courtesy of the WSLS-TV News Film Collection at the University of Virginia Library and WFXR-TV. The music in today's episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions, Purple Planet Music, and Dar Golan. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share. You can find more information about the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and this podcast at www.lgbthistory.pages.roanoke.com.
www.southwestvirginia.edu. We are also on Facebook at Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project. And follow us on Instagram at SWVA LGBTQ History. Thank you for your contributions to making history with us.